is the power of things. They can convince you of something that is really true, or they can be able to convince you that about something that is really wrong. So this is a delicate tool, and for this reason we need very good and honest and truthful storytellers. Professor Armando Fumagelli is a development consultant for Lux Vide Productions and has consulted on numerous scripts such as the Medici and Anna Karenina TV miniseries. He is the director of the master's program in screenwriting, fiction, and movies at the Catholic University of Milan, Italy. Listen in as we discuss the screenwriting process, the role of stories in the culture, and the importance of faith in the life of a storyteller. Benedictine College is transforming culture in America, one conversation at a time. From our studios in Atchison, Kansas, these are the Benedictine Dialogues. Well, Dr. Fumagelli, wonderful to have you here. Thank you yes. so much for coming on the show. It's a great pleasure to be here. Yes, well, it's an honor to have you here on the Benedictine Dialogues. And um, of course, one of the first questions I want to ask is, what are some of the projects you've worked on that really bring you a lot of joy and, and really uh, you see as some of your best? <laughs> uh, well, I must say many of them, many of them. Uh, and it's a fortunate situation. I'm, I'm very happy with uh, the work of consulting that I've been doing. Also, I must add, uh, a, a part of this joy is also to work with the former students of the program of which I'm director, that many of them are really excellent creative producers, are excellent writers, so it's also a joy to work with them. But if I would pick uh, some, I would say for sure the TV movie, the miniseries about John Paul II, for my connection with the figure of John Paul II, for many, many reasons. Also because it had a, a great, uh, it, it has been uh, broadcasted in many, many countries mm -hmm. in the world, including the United States in NBC. And uh, also from an artistic point of view, I liked a lot the two literary adaptations of Russian novels that are one is uh, War and Peace of 2007. Mm -hmm. It was a seven European countries co-production. Uh, easy, not difficult to write by the <laughs> writers because when you have a novel, uh, it's always easier than uh, to start uh, to do a biography mm -hmm. because the life of a person has inside uh, many different stories, so you have to choose. While a novel, maybe you have to adapt something, but you have characters, you have storylines, you have themes. So um, I was saying, uh, um, not di very difficult to write, but uh, it was complex, uh, the process of uh, co-production among seven countries. Uh, War and Peace, and the other one is uh, the Anna Karenina of 2013, so it came out just after the one with Kira Knightley. It was in two episodes, but I think also from an artistic point of view, is very well uh, achieved. The director is a Canadian director, Christian Duguet. The main actress is an Italian actress, Vittoria Puccini, with another international cast, Santiago Cabrera, and, um, and many other, Benjamin Sadler, uh, that is uh, German. And uh, well, we had also two episodes, two full episodes, so the writer has been very, very good in uh, putting to the screen uh, what uh, normally doesn't happen with the, the adaptation of Anna Karenina. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, all the different storylines that are in the novel, that is a rich and nuanced novel about different families, not only the story of Anna mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the adultery and the suicide, but also other couples and other families because the story is an exploration uh, about uh, about love and about marriage, about family. So in this way, the writer and the director have been able to uh, be fully respectful to the complexity and the richness of the novel. So then what, it's, what is it like? Um, you've now got kind of two different genres. There are two different these styles where one is just a, a biography of, of an individual, granted, one of the greatest individuals of the last yeah. you know, 150 years, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but then these others that, especially something like War and Peace, that is so rich and thick. And as you said, there's already a storyline involved. But there's, I mean, you could 
make multiple movies just yes. about yes. the stories. Yes, yes, yes. yes How yes. do you kind of work yes. those out? In the case of War and Peace, uh, uh, the format was four episodes of 100 minutes. Mm -hmm. So we had around 400 minutes. Uh, so we could respect uh, a big part uh, mm -hmm. of the big, big book uh, that is War and Peace. For sure, they are not minor characters, etc. And uh, in some cases, probably you needed a little bit more time to explain something of the characters. Mm -hmm. But uh, mostly, I would say it has been uh, uh, very well achieved, very mm -hmm. well achieved. Uh, obviously, any adaptation uh, is an interpretation. So we have, uh, for example, the second episode that is like Jane Austen <laughs> reads uh, uh, War and Peace, <laughs> but uh, but the complexity of the of the novel, the richness of the novel is mainly respected. Mm -hmm. It's mainly respected, mm -hmm. and also I'm I think personally that the people who do the casting did the casting very well. Uh, also minor characters. Uh, because uh, we have had the three main countries that are Italy, France, Germany, that had each one of them one of the main characters, and then the other was split into other countries, many Russian, Polish, uh, Spanish actors, besides the Italian ones and the French ones and the German ones. Yeah. And then what's it, what's it like creating a production around a pope? What, what goes into that? <laughs> well, uh, it was uh, not easy also because uh, also because the Pope, uh, when, uh, well, uh, the company Lux Vide uh, began to work on a biography of John Paul II, I think, if I remember well, three or four years before it came out. It came out in December 2005, and John Paul II died in April. So um, when uh, uh, we started to work on that, there was time in front of us, uh, so it was not rushing, but when the Pope died and the, we knew that there were other projects, there have been two other uh, films or miniseries about uh, uh, John Paul II, more or less at the same time, uh, the commissioners and the producer wanted to rush to go into production. Uh, we were in a moment in which, at least in Italy, obviously, John Paul II had been uh, in all the news for days, for weeks, the funerals, uh, documentaries, uh, uh, specials, etc. So it was also the idea, we, we went to the idea, let's say something that a documentary on, or a news cannot say. Mm. So to go very intimate into the character, to go into his deep feelings, to try to understand, and it, it was a responsibility because it's a very important public figure, so you, you cannot pretend things or uh, be too much inventive. But uh, for this reason, uh, uh, for us, it was very, very helpful, uh, besides all the thousands of pages that we had, the, the writers and me as a consultant had, had been reading about the Pope, a short 80 pages uh, autobiographical small book that he had written for his uh, 50 years of priesthood. Mm -hmm. That's called, uh, in Italian, Dono e Mistero, I think, Gift and Mystery. Uh, that is his life seen by his own eyes. Mm. And so if you see the, um, the miniseries, it starts uh, with the idea of we tell you something that you've never seen before. We go into private uh, conversations. Uh, he calls his secretary that then became Cardinal Jewish. He was known as Father Stanislao. Mm -hmm. uh, he called him Stashu, that was the, the nickname. Uh, so from the beginning, uh, we also, uh, and the writers, in a clever way, uh, thought we have to give a sense that we are approaching more to the character than what they have seen in uh, nights and nights and nights mm -hmm. of uh, news, documentaries, specials, etc. Yeah, something about cinema that's able to go deeper Deep, into the human deeper person. Deeper into right? the, the human person. This is something that normally, uh, I think this is very 
very wrong what people think. Well, uh, literature is on the uh, um, intimacy, is profound, while uh, uh, cinema is only superficial, uh, surface, mm. it's only action. While good cinema is like drama, is it's go deep into the soul of the characters, and uh, most probably the film we like most uh, in our lives are film that I I'm sure very frequently almost every time uh, they go deep into the soul of the of the characters, and uh, if you do a film about a person, you have to do that. Yeah. I normally, when I teach in Italy, I tell them that there is maybe some uh, of the people who are hearing us, maybe some have seen it. There has been a production made by France, a, a co-production uh, with different countries. They spent a lot of money, I think, like something like 70 million or 80 million about Napoleon in the first uh, years of the 2000. And they made this big mistake of simply putting uh, on the screen some uh, anecdotes hmm. that we have heard in the history books. Ah, okay, I know that, I know that. But in the script, they never go into the soul of the character. Uh, uh, and we really don't know Napoleon as a character. We don't know him as a person. We don't know what he desires, what he fears, what is uh, his preoccupations uh, or uh, his want. And uh, normally when I teach, I contrast this with uh, a, a, another biographical film that is a beautiful mind, that in seven minutes, it gets you into the heart of the character. And so you like him, you stay with him for all the journey that is a long journey through illness, madness, until he won the Nobel Prize. But uh, my view of a good biographical film is that you have to go really deep into the character and to make the viewer approach and be a intimate friend with, the, with this character. And this is the power of cinema, the power also of theater, the power, generally speaking, of drama that can be in theater, in television, in cinema. And that's because part of, as a viewer, right, you're experiencing almost reflections of aspects of your own soul, right? So like Beautiful Mind is a perfect example of we all have these weird eccentricities about ourselves that we don't always share. We don't always, <laughs> you know, show other people. We also have those moments where like, I'm just at an extreme, like, um, you know, I, I, I want to be a loner for a while, an isolationist for a while. Sometimes we feel awkward in crowds. You know, you see that regardless of who you are in those characters. So you come to love them. You come to yeah. reflect something uh, in them. Yes, yes. And I think uh, uh, normally the, the connection, the very strong connection with the character is with the need of the character. Mm -hmm. What technically is called the need, that is something that the character is missing at the beginning and he has to acquire during the journey. Mm -hmm. um, there is a famous uh, script doctor and teacher that is John Truby, uh, that we normally hire for our, our, our program, uh, and he makes this difference between uh, the desires, that is the external goal, that, that some other authors call the, the want of the character, and uh, on the other side, the need of the character. So what the character is missing in his life and what he has to fulfill to become a better person, uh, a fully realized person. And normally we connect very strongly with, uh, with especially with the need of the character, mm -hmm. like going to another film, very f famous, that I also use a lot, is Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo, I remembered when it came out, many friends that were fathers and mothers, they were hit very strongly by the film because 90% of parents today are too anxious, like the father of uh, Nemo, mm -hmm. like Marlin. And uh, the film is about uh, is our father that has his reasons to be anxious. And so we, we understand him because he has had a big trauma before. Mm -hmm. uh, and here there is an anecdote that uh, I don't know if uh, many people knows that, but uh, for, for a long time, uh, the, what happens at the beginning of the film, the fact that Marlin uh, saw his family killed except Nemo, was a revelation in the middle uh, of the story. But uh, 
they felt in Pixar they felt something didn't work, this smiling is strange, we don't understand him. And then they thought, why don't we put this much in a much simpler way at the beginning mm. so the viewer can understand why it's so strange. So, uh, going back to this, uh, the need of uh, Marlene, uh, the father of Nemo, is uh, to understand that he cannot prevent any risk in the life of his kid. Mm -hmm. And this is a very, very important topic, and, uh, and I think that many parents have been hit very strongly and very deeply by this film because they have, in some way, this kind of need. So this is the power of the film, this is how a thing can work very well. Also, if we are not fish, maybe we are. <laughs> also, if one is a father, maybe someone is a mother, mm -hmm. but you connect not because the character is like you, but uh, because, uh, the, uh, because you have a common humanity and you have something that is similar to you. To you. I, I remember once we had uh, teaching uh, the, the writer who won the Oscar for um, the King's Speech, mm -hmm. and he was speaking about um, David Sider is his name. He was speaking about uh, um, Erin Brockovich, mm -hmm. and he said, "Well, the, the what is at stake with Erin Brockovich is that uh, someone acknowledges her uh, dignity mm. as a person." And so we connect uh, deeply with that uh, when we have, in some way, the same problem. If we have some way the same problem, also if she's a young uh, uh, mother of three and you are uh, a 50-year-old man uh, living uh, in all another country, it's not the identification on exterior uh, aspects, but uh, it's how you connect uh, with deep, uh, feelings and deep uh, uh, need, let's say, I, I need something that also she needs. Is there something unique about um, cinema and, and the way stories are told? And the, the reason I'm asking is because, you know, I, I teach in the Great Books program uh, here and we just finished reading Homer and, and we're getting into now the, the Tragedians. And um, I mean, these, these works are 2,700 years old and yet you still find reflections of yourself yeah. <laughs> in Achilles, in Odysseus, in you know, Zeus yeah. even, these moments of pride, of weakness, of, of lust, of all these aspects of what it means to be a human. And so we've been doing this storytelling for such a long time, and to your point too, of even in theater form, of in drama for a very long time, is there something unique to the cinema experience? Because it's still somewhat of a new art. I mean, it's still been, you know, only about 120, 130 yes, years. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, for sure, in some way, it has common roots, my opinion, with the theater. Sure. Uh, uh, obviously, respect to theater, uh, you have the possibility of doing more action, uh, of making shorter scenes, uh, something that in theater is not possible. I've been studying the process of adaptation, both from literature and from theater. Uh, published a, a book and a couple of volumes with also some analysis of uh, specific adaptation. And normally, uh, for adaptation for theater, the the work that I use is uh, Shadowlands. That has a it's a film on '93, if I remember well. That is a very interesting uh, story of double adaptation because it came out as first as a TV movie for BBC, then it became a theater play, very successful, then it became a, a feature film. So uh, they made some changes, etc. but you see that the basic structure of the story, the basic elements are in the three form are, are the same. So in my opinion, uh, good cinema has a lot to do also with good theater. Uh, uh, not by chance, uh, Shakespeare, if you do it well, works very well also, yes. <laughs> also, also in cinema. And uh, in last years, there have been some uh, adaptations from theater that have been very successful, and many people do not know that uh, the, these stories were written at first in theater, like A Few Good Men, for example, a film with Tom Cruise by uh, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, or uh, a Chilean film that is called The No, uh, that is, was the first important film directed by Pablo Larraín, 
these are unexpected uh, adaptation from uh, theater or also the very famous Amadeus. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, I think uh, cinema in this has a lot of uh, uh, common ground uh, with theater. Then you have to be careful to obviously uh, to shorten the scenes, uh, to uh, use also the visual language, uh, you can uh, cut uh, dialogue using uh, different tools, etc. But the core of the core of the core, I think, uh, is very common between theater and cinema. And in, in all of those instances, because I also think of like Les Miserables, which has been both in the novel as well as theater, as well as the theater, you know, yeah. many, many different forms uh, of it. Um, all of which have their own unique, special yep. way of, of, of taking it in. Um, but there's, within all of it, there's this natural, a lot of modern philosophers call us storytelling animals, right? So you have the Aristotelian um, sort of like a, a political animal, you've heard logical animal, you've heard these other things. But I love that narrative of a storytelling animal. It's just yeah. within us. Yeah. What, what, is, what is that? And like, where does yes, that come well, from? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We'll, uh, it's the, the thing that, uh, uh, we interpret the world uh, as a place where uh, people do something and try to achieve something. And uh, hearing stories is uh, like having, uh, getting experience about life. Mm. So not only with biographical film, but through a biographical film, at the end of the end, uh, I want to know if uh, someone was fulfilled or not fulfilled in, in his life. So uh, for biographical films, uh, I think it's very important also for the success in some way to give an answer to this. Was this life fulfilled or not? Um, uh, yesterday we were saying something about uh, the social network. Hmm. The film, The Social Network, about Zuckerberg, that structurally is a tragedy, mm -hmm. says clearly, not. Mm -hmm. uh, this life is not fulfilled. He, he begins with a mistake and he ends alone. But uh, other films say yes uh, in a clear way, or other films uh, sometimes make the mistake of remaining uh, uh, in the middle and they are not clear, they have not a clear theme, etc. But uh, what happens in a very strong way for uh, uh, biographical stories is something that we look for at, at the end in any story. Uh, we want to understand what is worth fight for, what is worth uh, look for, what is more important between two different goods, on what is the less bad of two different uh, uh, risks or two different evils. So, um, for this reason, the stories give us experience. I am happy that this is more and more recognized also for, uh, at least in Italy, also for uh, general aspects of uh, uh, education. Mm. I published a, a short article, it could be 25 years ago or more, uh, saying that, uh, uh, stressing the importance uh, of uh, literature, uh, but also cinema, good cinema and good television for uh, helping people to uh, also in their future profession because uh, good literature gives you an understanding of human life, uh, of uh, the different aspects of existence, of life, etc. that can be very, very important for uh, lawyers, medical doctors, nurses, educators, uh, any kind of professional, business people, any kind of professional, this helps a lot. And, I, and I'm happy that, for example, in many American universities, you have these courses on the great literature, the great books that we, at the moment, don't have. It's very, very, very rare. It's the study of literature is much more, let's say, technical, but not on the content itself or sure. what it says about human life. Yeah, and that's that's it, right? It's it's peeking into something of anthropology of what it means to be a human person, right? Yeah. And I think then there's a huge weight or, or responsibility on the storytellers themselves about how to do that right, right? I mean, this has been a debate since Plato, as far as yeah. you know, what is what does storytelling do? What do poetics do uh, yeah. to the human person? 
So what's your, your insights or, or thoughts when it comes to the responsibility of the storyteller, especially when it comes to moral issues or ethical issues, these kinds of things? Obviously, the responsibility is very, very strong because um, a good story can change the life of a person. Uh, um, a good uh, novel, a good film, a good TV series can really change the life. For example, I, uh, there is, in, in Italy, there is a, a writer that is, one, that is a, also a teacher. He's, um, his name is Alessandro D'Avenia. Um, he's very well known. He's a best-selling novelist, but he's still also a teacher uh, in high school because he wants to have contact with real people, not only go around uh, on uh, festivals and <laughs> shows, etc. And uh, he says that uh, he decided to be a teacher watching uh, Dead Poets Society. Hmm. Uh, there, that was the film that changed his life. Hmm. But I'm sure millions of people can say something similar with different films, with different uh, uh, novels or so. Really, stories can change life. And this is uh, the basis of the responsibility of a storyteller. Also because uh, uh, a story, that we like it or not, has uh, is immersed in that it's full of some kind of rhetoric. Mm -hmm. So a story stresses something and probably hides something else. Um, I was mentioning before uh, the social network, for example. Uh, the social network stresses the fact that Mark Zuckerberg at the end of the story is alone. It makes us forget that he has probably 30 or 40 billion dollars. You don't think about that. Yeah. You only think that he's, this poor guy is alone. He has no friends. And uh, for example, the Godfather, at the end of the story, makes you root for uh, a man who is a killer and who kills all this enemy. And I'm sure 90%, the film was structurally intended. Uh, it's one of the greatest film of all <laughs> history, but uh, it was initially intended as a tragedy, mm -hmm. but probably the writers were so concerned with the fact that the audience would not stay with the main character, that they give always very strong reason why he does what he does. And from some moment on, he kills people or he ordered to kill people. So at the end of the film, you sometimes forget that he is he's a killer and you are happy because he's the head <laughs> of, the, of all the families. Uh, he has won, he's the king. You feel he has become the king, while he has become a devil. Mm. Uh? Mm -hmm. And this is the very strong and very well done rhetoric, uh, rhetoric of the story. So it happens in many different aspects. Also, uh, one of the films that I use a lot for teaching uh, love stories and romantic comedies is uh, You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and mm -hmm. Grian. If you had never been in New York and you see that film, you think that New York is a, is a tiny town <laughs> with uh, everyone knows each other in the neighborhood, etc. But if you compare that with the Gotham City that is uh, in some other films, they look to two different uh, uh, towns. It's rhetoric in the sense that uh, they show you something and they don't show you all the other side. Eh? But this is obviously very, very strong in, uh, in the, about the choices of the character. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, or sometimes they can uh, tell you or they want to make you feel that the best thing for uh, someone uh, is, uh, I don't know, to kill uh, someone who is old uh, and sick in favor of uh, euthanasia and at the moment a good number, especially of European film, in favor of euthanasia, like a form of love. But uh, this is rhetoric. So it's the power of, of films. They can convince you of something that is really true, like a beautiful mind that tells you that for a person it's not so important to be so brilliant intellectually, how much is important to have someone to love and to be loved. And this is, in my personal opinion, very true. Or they can be able to convince you that about something that is really wrong. So mm -hmm. this is a delicate tool. And for this reason, we need very good and honest and truthful storytellers. How do we navigate 
the seemingly competitive claims of faith and science. When it comes to creation, some people have this legitimate concern, if life evolved, does that mean God's not necessary? Dr. Ramage, if we no longer accept the ancient cosmology, how do we know anything's true anymore? Atheists and Christians alike tend to unite in seeing the Bible and science as mutually contradictory. But the Catholic Church actually thinks quite differently, that from the very beginning, God has been perceived in the things that were made. How do God and creatures work together? What is the relationship of creation, God, the history of life? And what does knowing the created world reveal about God? I'm Dr. Matthew Ramage, full professor of theology here at Benedictine College, and this is Faith and Science. So how then would you work with, let's say, a screenwriter who wants to deal with something very dark? You know, I, I think even of, of certain Christian films that um, sometimes they don't go dark enough if they're dealing with something that's part of human <laughs> uh, history or human yeah. nature. Um, and so there's, there's kind of this comparison sometimes between Protestant-made films and Catholic films that Catholic films are willing to go into the depths yeah. of, of the bad. Uh, of, of our nature, um, but sometimes too, you have ones that are go to the depths and they just stay there. Um, yeah. So how, yeah. how would you kind of coach, like deal with it, but, but we've got to show yeah. people how to yeah. you know, work I, with I it. Think, um well, it depends from the person, obviously, but I, I would suggest uh, to read Dostoevsky, for example, mm -hmm. uh, to read uh, Shakespeare, because they deal with the dark side of the of the human heart, and they are able to to make us understand also the darkness, but not love the darkness. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would suggest uh, something that maybe could surprise you, but also to look uh, at some films of Frank Capra, Yes. Because on a distance, you, f you can think, ah, they are a film where everyone is happy, everyone is good, but it's not like this. For example, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. There was a depiction, a representation of politics and of journalism so strongly corrupted mm -hmm. that when it, there was the first screening, Frank Capra had to run away because they want to beat him and, and punch him uh, because they, they, they did a premiere in Washington with the parliamentary press, uh, with the political press and with the politicians because the, the depiction that he makes of politics and of press is a uh, depiction of people corrupted. Mm. Uh, the fact is we have, after many years, we have this, this sense of goodness because mm -hmm. in this case there is our hero that despite all his weaknesses, at the end, almost by miracle, he wins. Mm -hmm. There is the, the, something that Tolkien called the U catastrophe. Uh, so the uh, reversal in the last minute, unexpected, and at the end he won. But he, he, you can feel completely that he is weak and, the, and on a human level he could lose everything. Mm -hmm and uh, also his good uh, um, name because they treat uh, uh, the character as a, uh, as a liar, uh, as uh, crazy, as uh, having him his own interests, uh, etc. So I think that from these different examples, and for sure there are others of uh, great uh, writers that are Catholic or Christian, mm -hmm. and have been dealing with the dark side of the heart, you can find a way to deal with the, with the dark side, but not be uh, in favor mm -hmm. of sin, mm -hmm. because sin exists, the evil exists, etc. But you can go through that and see also that there is another possibility. Mm -hmm. And you can do on, on different genres, let's say, you can do that on a tragedy, Speaking of Shakespeare, you have Richard III, mm -hmm. that is uh, the ambition, the 
exaggerate ambition leads to self-destruction. Mm -hmm. So at the end, he is, is, uh, his uh, uh, so big ambition leads him to ruin. Uh, all you can do in other channel, where there is uh, a good character that confronts the evil, uh, maybe the good character uh, can be defeated uh, uh, or can be partly defeated. For example, in Braveheart, for example, our good character is defeated at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, I spoke with, uh, with uh, Randall Wallace, that is the the screenwriter and uh, um, someone uh, that was with me asked him, but why aren't you scared about making a film for uh, Hollywood, big production without a happy ending? Hmm. Because at, at the end, the character does, does not win. He is defeated, he dies, he's tortured. And in a very candid way, Randall Wallace answered, uh, well, but for me, this, there is a happy ending because he's faithful to his ideas. So mm. this is for me an happy ending. Also, we have to say that at the very ending of the film, they say his sacrifice gave uh, birth to other things. Mm. And so there is the hint or the, the road to something good that uh, after this sacrifice um, has uh, happened. In some way, also Gladiator has a similar ending. Gladiator, in some way, learns a lot from uh, uh, Braveheart. Braveheart was five years before the Gladiator, because at the end he dies. Mm -hmm. But uh, rhetoric, good rhetoric, mm -hmm. they have been so uh, clever to prepare this ending that they have uh, set up the fact that he wants to uh, go to see his wife and his son in the Elysian camps in the afterlife. So he is dead, but he is in some way with his family. And I don't know if you're aware of that, but uh, the first image that opens the film was a suggestion by the editor. Oh, really? uh, yes, uh, Pietro Scalia, if I remember well his name, uh, he suggested to open the film with this foreshadowing that is the hand mm -hmm. of the Maximus uh, in the, with the uh, grass, with the corns, uh, yeah. and uh, that is an image of the afterlife, and then you see it at the end. And, but this is also a way of dealing with uh, a, a dark side or with the mm -hmm. power of the of the bad guys or mm -hmm. the evil mm -hmm. and the darkness of of death itself as part of human nature right yeah. that there's a piece of him that lives on although he's still going to be sorely missed right um and so that also gets into the the question of the importance of religious faith when it comes to creating good story maybe speak to a little bit of that well, uh, as in stories, you deal with what is most important in life. Huh? And uh, probably you, you can have also a sense of what, uh, of what is important and, and be true and be, uh, and be true. Maybe also if you don't, uh, at least in many, in many areas of human life, uh, if you don't have an explicit faith. Uh, we have uh, many good films uh, that say something true uh, about human life in which maybe the authors don't share any, mm -hmm. a, a faith. But there are very important dimensions of, of human life uh, that uh, are uh, dependent on the fact that you accept that there is a God, that there is uh, a providence uh, that there is a life uh, after this life. Uh, and so to be able to tell the truth, I think it's very important to, to share this uh, basic and uh, very important aspects uh, of what we understand uh, is to be a human person. Mm -hmm. uh, then, Obviously, you have also to be good in telling stories. Mm -hmm. It's not enough mm -hmm. to be a person of faith <laughs> because uh, there is all the aspect of, uh, of uh, let's say, the technicalities that are, that are not only technicalities, but is the thing of going deep, uh, the thing of uh, 
don't be preachy, the thing of uh, trying li really to explore deeply a theme, not just to repeat something that you know, like if you want to uh, simply make some kind of propaganda. Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, well, also if you are right, sometimes maybe you are right, but you are also boring. Mm -hmm. no? mm -hmm. You can be right <laughs> and boring at the same time, yeah. no? Uh, or be entertaining and wrong. The good thing would be to be entertaining and also right. Eh? Yes. That is not easy, obviously, because uh, we are used to a kind of very sophisticated storytelling that is never uh, easy to achieve. And normally, a, a good thing requires lots of lots of uh, work. Uh, very patient. Uh, uh, I remember as a very important screenwriter, uh, Oscar Level, uh, who did uh, well before uh, setting out uh, to my best friends something and asking them advice. I, I do normally around 10 drafts of a script. Mm -hmm. And this is just the beginning. Uh, then I have a couple of people, colleagues that I trust and they, and, and they give me feedback and then uh, I begin to present this to a production company or a studio, etc. and then starts the process of development, etc. So um, it's a very, very, very long process and in fact some films that, that we see are uh, really really there is a, a, a tremendous level of craft and of mm -hmm. depth and of details in every in every moment i teach a lot adaptation on uh, uh, sense and sensibility written mm -hmm. by emma thompson who won the oscar and for me is still probably the best adaptation of a classic novel to mm -hmm. cinema and uh, every minute uh, you find uh, uh, in every minute of the story, you find uh, choices and deepness and uh, wit uh, and um, details that are really um, enormously well done. Well, speaking of, of good storytelling, good storytellers, give me a little bit of the state of affairs in regard to the storytelling or the, the industry as it stands uh, today. Yes, well, uh, it, a very important aspect when you think of the industry of cinema television uh, that I always tell my students, it's, it's simply a fact, is the fact that uh, um, at the end of the end, uh, very few people <laughs> are the people who really tell the stories that reach millions and millions of people all over the world. And this happens in every country. I mean, uh, in Italy, I would say that with uh, 100, 200 people, uh, you have 90% of the TV series that are done in Italy. And it's a very small number. Um, I was interested in seeing that all the writers that are in the WGA that had just finished the strike are 11,000. So if you cut probably 60 or 70% of them that are good people, they write, etc., but they are not the creators, mm -hmm. they are not uh, someone who really has, has done anything original, but probably they work uh, in uh, episodes of TV series written mm -hmm. by others. Probably you, you come down to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 writers, and if you add uh, some hundreds of producers and of uh, executives in studios, you find that uh, 90% uh, of what uh, people watch all, all over the world uh, is around few thousand people, few thousand people. And this is interesting to think about because uh, when you have these kind of numbers, you can have all the polarization that is possible in, in any kind of direction. I mean, uh, there is no reason and there is no um, let's say, guarantee that they give uh, a fair and balanced representation in many, many aspects of life. I remember I, I read many years ago in a very interesting book that is called Hollywood versus America, written by a, a cinema critic, Michael Medved. Uh, uh, the book appeared in 92 or 93, and it was a very important book to 
to do some change in the, in the industry. He was joking about uh, the fact that uh, there was a certain thing that was set in a small town in America, and he, he was joking about, the, well, the, it's the only town in America when there, is, there isn't any church. Mm. Uh, I thought about that because I was a few days ago in Columbia, Missouri, mm -hmm. and uh, I was very surprised how many big churches there <laughs> are uh, in the town. And it came to my mind uh, what my commander said, because also he was commenting the fact that uh, in, in that time they did um, a research, uh, they asked questions about uh, um, participation to religious activities, and they said, well, uh, in the 90s, more or less 40% of American people went every week to some kind of uh, religious service, be it Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, uh, 40%. And in the people that are in the cinema industry, the number was 4%. Wow. So big difference, big difference. And I think this explains something, explains also why in that film <laughs> it's the only town in America without any church. So I guess just to uh, kind of wrap up the, the conversation, um, I'm sure a lot of our viewers would be interested to hear your advice as people who don't necessarily write you know, screenplays or, or anything like that, but really enjoy film. How, as a devout Christian, devout Catholic, do we keep ourselves in line with our morals while you know still enjoying good film, which sometimes doesn't always agree? Yeah. Um, what, what advice would you give? Um, yes, this is a very good question, and uh, I think that also uh, the, the answer could be different from person to person, because uh, obviously, as we say, the film is a very, very powerful medium, so for the good or for the bad. So also it depends on how much deepness and uh, how much also culture you have. Mm -hmm. uh, because some films that are apparently very honest, etc., uh, probably they, they, are, they are not. And uh, in some way they, they tell stories in a very different way uh, from how they happened. In Italy, it has just come a film that is called Rapito, Kidnapped, by a very complex story of a, a Jewish uh, young boy, seven years old, that was uh, taken away from his family because he had been baptized uh, in the moment uh, in which a maid of the family was thinking that he was going to die. Mm. Then, for uh, after five, six years, for different reasons, they they um, knew the the bishop knew that it had been baptized. So they made uh, um, proposals to the family that he could study in a Catholic school, but they refused. So at the end, he was taken away because it was in the 19th century in the state of the um, pontifical state, uh, the, the state. Uh, it depended from the Vatican, it was near Bologna in, in Italy, and they took away him uh, and they uh, educated uh, him uh, in a Catholic school. And the story is very interesting because uh, it, it's a very famous case, the case of Edgardo Mortara, and uh, at the end he became uh, a priest. <laughs> and he was always in love with his family, etc. but he said, well, I'm Catholic. Uh, and uh, he became a priest, and he was a very good priest. Uh, he was, he was uh, a very good preacher. He went in different countries, etc. But for example, this kind of film tells the story changing many, many circumstances, especially all the ending, <laughs> uh, that if you don't know the story, you may think this is historical, and, and it is not. Mm. So this is just... Uh, let's say, a warning uh, that uh, in some cases uh, you have also to take your time uh, to contrast, uh, because there are themes, we were speaking uh, a few hours ago about Spotlight uh, mm -hmm. that has uh, uh, proposed uh, a, an image uh, of the diocese that is much worse than that, uh, uh, the real facts, etc. So, Speaking about this, I think that uh, besides this, I, I think that obviously uh, you can uh, have uh, 
um, a good uh, um, intellectual conversation also with themes that, are, that don't share our Catholic view. Uh, but I think uh, it's important to be, let's say, have the common sense of being reasonable and according, maybe you have uh, a PhD in theology, uh, maybe you have only studied catechism when you were seven years old, and this also has a different, sure. uh, uh, a different perspective. Or you are 15 years old, or you are 60 years old, you have a different experience in life. Mm. Uh, because at the moment, uh, there are many films and TV series that, from the point of view of what is, for example, love, romance, affectivity, marriage, uh, sexual relations, etc., are very deceitful, mm -hmm. you know? and so it's different uh, if you watch the same thing. You are 13 or 14, or uh, you are 60 and you have uh, a full experience of life, uh, and maybe you are uh, I don't know a counselor for uh, uh, married couples, mm -hmm. and and you know very well what happens in a marriage, etc. While if, when you are 13, you don't know. So I I would answer to be open, but to be also grounded in, in your faith and to be realistic and, and always try to, while you work in the, let's say, in the free air, mm -hmm. also to alimentate, to give a nutrition to your soul with good food. I mean, yeah. also this is something that not only in cinema, but also in books, uh, in, uh, also in real stories, I think also we have uh, this great richness of the story of the saints that uh, they are incredible characters, incredible characters. Incredible characters in the sense that you discover people that is really unknown, but they have been uh, uh, real heroes and they have done so many things and uh, you can learn so much from them that uh, I think it's good to, uh, uh, so to say, to, to go to these sources and to uh, give this kind of food to your soul uh, for uh, uh, not just uh, uh, to have something that is uh, a source of interior life. And, and with this interior life, you can obviously have a dialogue with uh, everyone uh, being uh, reasonable, uh, for sure. You don't uh, send a, a, a child of, uh, 10 years to speak uh, with a professor of philosophy of uh, Princeton or Yale. Uh, uh, something, everything needs common sense. Yes. Armando, this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Thank I could you. literally talk movies with you for hours. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I'm very happy and uh, I, I like to, I, as you can imagine, I like to speak about movies. It sounds yes, like yes. it. <laughs> well, yes. thank you so much for coming to campus. Yes, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you all for listening and watching. And uh, we'll see you next time. God bless. We hope you enjoyed the Benedictine Dialogues, a production of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. To catch all the latest and support our growing platform, visit media.benedictin.edu. And be sure to recommend this show to your friends and family. Help us to transform culture in America, one conversation at a time.